Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for joining us. The conversation we're about to have with Daria Rose, uh, I think, will instantly improve your life if you let it. And if you've been following us and following the work that we do, I think you know that we are super cautious about blindly sharing the change your life mantra because it seems like everywhere you turn, someone is promising to change your life. But what we promise is that this conversation about managing your well-being is not to be ignored. Daria completed her PhD in neuroscience from UC San Francisco, and it's been about five or six years now, Daria, I believe, that the blog has been up. The, the, the book, Foodist, has done tremendously well, and we'll dive into that today. So it's great to be with you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I want to set some context. You regained control of your health about seven years ago or so, right, because you stopped dieting. So can we agree that the word diet in general is just counterproductive? Oh, absolutely. So one of the first things I did when launching my blog, excuse me, was get rid of it. Well, specifically, I use it to mean one thing. And I use dieting to mean restriction-based you know, eating plans that don't work. <laughs> um, because if any, any eating plan that is based on restriction is not going to work for long term. And what's really, the reason I, it's really frustrating is because the word diet also has a scientific meaning. And as I, you know, my background is science. So when you talk about a vegetarian diet or even a canine diet or a healthy diet, <clears throat> that just means a way of eating. But the problem is that it, most people, it connotes this sort of deprivation, weight loss nightmare that we've all been through. And so I just, I was so sick of it. I now call diet a four letter word. And I use the word health style to talk about the way you eat and the way you live to make yourself healthier. Well, it is a four letter word, right? I think we agreed to that, but it was actually while you were working on your PhD that you discovered the science behind thinking about food. So what we're about to share is science really has nothing to do with diet. Absolutely. And I I actually really appreciate you diving right into that because it is probably the biggest misconception that I'm like constantly battling. So I think, I think the, let's start sort of big picture. When people think about health, they think about nutrition, they think about science, they think about omega-3s and calcium and carbohydrates and protein. And people tend to take either like one of two approaches. They either go, screw it, like (laughs) it's too complicated. It's too much. They're contradicting each other every other week. I'm out. I'm just going to eat bacon and cupcakes. The other person that I feel almost more sorry for is the person I used to be who tries to understand this stuff in earnest. Like, okay, maybe it's carbohydrates. Maybe it's sugar. Maybe it's, you know, anti-nutrients. Maybe it's a phytate. Maybe it's all these things. The truth is that we don't know as a scientific community very much at all. Like, have you noticed in physics, nobody ever argues about Kepler's laws? Absolutely. Right? The reason we're arguing over these things in nutrition is because we don't really have all the details of all the stuff worked out yet. So, you know, what, you know, a carrot, for instance, its nutritional value is going to be based on what variety of carrot it is, what soil it was grown in, what the weather was like during that time. On top of that, you have your own genetics. Your genetics are different from a rabbit's who might also eat a carrot. And and how even you personally will digest that carrot will depend on your fitness level, uh, obviously your, your metabolism, your genetics, what else you've eaten that day. It gets complex 
so darn fast that if it, it, it's absolutely absurd to say that I can tell you what's best for you. Is it let, is let alone at any given period in your life, let alone for everybody in the country or in the world, right? And so this idea that we have some sort of knowledge on what to do is completely misguided. But there is something we do know, a few things we do know. And these are things that, of course, like all the groups that are fighting with each other constantly actually agree on. These are the like fundamental truths. And there's just a few. One, processed foods. And when I say that, I mean processed flour processed sugar in particular, um, but also processed oils, processed meats, anything that really comes from a factory, those are the foods that are associated with all the diseases and all the obesity that we're talking about. Before that time, most of these problems were not around. People got sick from infectious diseases, but the ones who did live in their 80s had perfect teeth, had perfect hearts. You know, they, they almost never got diabetes. They had much, much less cancer. And so that's like truth number one is most of these diseases were introduced when processed foods were introduced about a hundred years ago. Uh, number two is that vegetables are really good for you. That's good uh, to know. Yeah. Like, I mean, real foods, intact foods, for the most part, that's what we evolved to eat and we can still eat especially vegetables, but almost everything else. I mean, people will fight about meat. People will fight about grains and beans and all sorts of things, starches. But at the end of the day, None of those even come close to comparing to how bad processed foods are. And as long as you're in the real food realm and you are eating some vegetables, you're like 99% of the way there. And what that means is like you can just stop reading the health section of the New York Times (laughs) if you want and still be healthy. We know what to do. Eat real food. And like the more complicated you make it actually is, is really bad because what happens is you start guiding your behavior based on those like sort of hypotheses that the scientists are generating more often than not, you're going to end up in a bad place. I mean, you know, we've tested taking out vitamins from a certain food that looks good and we'll put it in a pill form and we'll give it to people and they'll die. You know, like, like that, those, those sorts of hypotheses have never actually worked out. So I recommend not basing your actions ever on, on the science and and just focus on the real food. If you're a scientist like me, you probably find the nutrition science interesting and that's fine. I just wouldn't let you, I wouldn't suggest that you base your actions on it until, you know, we're 20, 40, 50 years down the road and we have a much better standing of actual nutrition and actual science around those things. So that's what I appreciate so much about you. I mean, you try to, you do the work behind the scenes. You're like a great engineer. You're like a great hacker. You do what you can to simplify this and then you share it. And here's the essence, eat real food. You just mentioned it. So let's kind of put that in context. Just give us, demonstrate a typical day for you. Like, tell us, what did you have for breakfast? What are you planning to have for lunch and dinner? Just so people can understand what that really means in real life. Yeah, so that's a great question. So science has confused this to the point where people don't even know what real food is. So great rule of thumb, if it looks like something that came from Earth, say a piece of meat that came from an animal or a plant that grew out of the ground or you know, something, something, a grain that grew from something, then you're in, in healthy territory. If it's looks like a flake, 
you know, those healthy breakfasts that are flakes, like flakes don't grow treats, right? So, you know, now you're in shaky territory. So focus on food that looks like it came from something that your great grandmother, excuse me, as Michael Pollan would say, uh, would recognize as food and you're, you're in good shape. And you're right. So you, you sort of, you sort of sidestep my next point, which is like, what is that? The hard part then is, and what does that look like in your daily life? Right? Because we now live in an environment where that is really an abnormal way to eat. Absolutely. Like the way I eat now, like it takes a lot of thought, you know, like I have, I mean, it no longer takes thought for me because I've built the habits that make it automatic for me. But when you're just starting to think about these things and make these changes, implementing it can seem really daunting because it's not obvious. You know, we don't have really a system set up to make it easy. So what I have done is, you know, I basically start with one thing at a time. You know, if you want to start with breakfast, that's a great place to start. I recommend oatmeal, you know, oats, you know, sure they're carbs and sure they're grains. And there are going to be people who are going to complain all day about that, but you can eat grains and be healthy especially intact grains. So oats are, or oats are a great example. I put uh, a bunch of nuts and raisins and stuff like that in mine with some cinnamon and just heat it up in the microwave for two minutes with some water and then splash on some... I use unsweetened hemp, mil- unsweetened hemp milk, which is probably one of the most processed foods I eat, but um, it just get, makes it a little creamy. But um, really straightforward, super delicious, keeps me full for four or five hours. And... I know that as long as I'm eating that, I'm on the right track. So that's breakfast, right? That's That's a typical breakfast. Absolutely. How about Um, lunch? Lunch. So I'm, I'm fortunate in that I'm able to do what I do at home. So I usually cook myself a really quick lunch. I don't have a lot of time. So my favorite thing to cook is something called cabbage and eggs. Uh, the recipe's on summer tomato if you want to check it out. But, uh, I basically just take a, a small cabbage about yay big, cut it in quarters, take one of the quarters and slice it real thin. And then I heat it in a pan with a teensy bit of olive oil and fairly high heat, medium high heat, and until it starts to brown and become translucent and then it kind of crunches a little bit, it gets a little bit crunchy. Then I, uh, I throw about a tablespoon of soy sauce on there, lower the heat because that, that burns pretty easily, lower the heat, put some t- uh, soy sauce on there, stir it up, and then just crack two eggs in there, stir those around, and it is completely delicious really filling. It almost feels like silky and indulgent, almost like a, like a Chinese dish, like, like, like you're cheating or something. It's delicious. Absolutely delicious. Takes four minutes and it's super filling because it has all that protein. And here I am talking about nutritionism, um, but it does have a lot of protein and vegetables. And so you're getting a very complete meal and that'll last me through until my workout. I usually have a little snack after my workout because I, I work out pretty hard almost daily. And I'll have a slice of slice or two of cheese, like a, a usually like a hard cheese, like Manchego is my favorite, sheep's milk cheese. And usually like an apple or a pear or some some substantial crunchy piece of fruit. And then I usually just make dinner at home with my husband. So we'll uh, maybe make a salad or stir, do a little stir fry and he'll grill some steaks up or I'll roast a chicken or something like that. Pretty straightforward, pretty easy. We usually, we do usually have a glass of wine with dinner. And after that, I'm not hungry. You know, I don't, I used to snack all night after dinner because I was eating these super unsatisfying meals all day. And I would, you know, around eight or nine o'clock, I'd get hungry and I'd eat trail mix and it's not a good way to lose weight. (laughs) 
But, you know, these days I'm completely satisfied with just that. And then on the weekends or whatever, I'll go out to a restaurant or maybe even have something a little more indulgent, like, you know, something like a muffin or something at brunch or maybe even a dessert after dinner. And, and I don't worry about it. It's fine because, you know, I eat healthy 80, 90% of the time. And so I don't have to worry about things like that anymore. That's, that's the other misconception, right? This whole notion of guilt. You have really, you've gotten rid of that whole mental framework because I think that cripples people. Huge, huge point. Huge point. When you moralize your food choices, when you're like, this is good and this is bad, and if I eat this, then I'm bad, or if I eat this, then I'm good, that there's so many psychological studies that show you how counterproductive that is in managing your own behavior. Because what happens is a few things. Uh, first of all, if you, if you deprive yourself a lot, you will say, uh, eventually your willpower will break down. So this is something to talk about all the time. If you're using a willpower-based, restriction-based model for eating, and by the way, if you're being good, that's basically what you're doing, is restricting yourself and forcing yourself to eat something healthy. What happens is when that willpower breaks down, which it will at some point, like willpower gets tired just like muscle and it will break down. Then dieters, people who have been restricting themselves, will have this thing called the what the hell effect, and which basically means you're like, oh, screw it. I've been so good. I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to go nuts. And then I'll just like work it off tomorrow. Like you like, <laughs> you like defer. A cheat the, day. Yeah. The That's hard what people the say. Future. What happens though is in these moments, at the end of the day, they've eaten far more than had they never dieted in the first place. Far more. Like not a little bit more. Like hundreds and hundreds of calories more. And, you know, this happens over and over and over again. Another issue with moralizing food is something called a health halo. So we tend to like do mental accounting. It's a similar thing, but different. What happens is you'll put a health halo around something, say low fat yogurt, and you'll believe, or like Subway. Oh gosh. Subway's their time of year. They have made it so that they have a health halo. It seems like a healthy choice when it's like 22 grams of sugar, which is by the, by the way, equal to like two Krispy Kreme donuts. Um, you know, they, they'll say it has six grams of fat, but it, it, it's horrible for you in every right. other way. And but because it has this health halo, you'll eat that, then have a cookie because you were so good. You know, that combined with the what the health effect. So like, it is so important to avoid that food moralization. And then, but what's awesome about that is it gets rid of the guilt too. Right, so not only are you like avoiding all those pitfalls of the halo, health halo and the what the hell effect, but also when you do enjoy something, you know, when you do decide, hey, it's my birthday, I'm going to have a cupcake because I freaking love cupcakes and it's my birthday, <laughs> then you don't have to worry about it. You'd be like, this is awesome, this is delicious. In fact, what'll happen is you'll probably only eat half of it because you'll be full <laughs> and you're not used to eating sugar anymore. So um, it actually makes it a lot easier to not overeat. Well, I think that's a huge, huge point. Let me jump to an area that I know you're intimately familiar with. Most of those that are probably going to be listening to this or, or, or listen to our broadcast are working their tails off, heads down, trying to build the next great thing. And let's face it, they're not thinking about food the way you and I think about it. They're not, they don't have the luxury of being at home where they can, you know, make a meal. You know, but most of them nowadays are working within an infrastructure that allows them to have some type of nutritional options. What do you say to them? What do you say to the people around you over there in the valley 
that are working their tail off and you know they're there at midnight and the only thing that's available is a pizza <sighs> so this is really really common um I think I don't know a single person who doesn't consider themselves like ridiculously busy. Like you look at the CEO of anything, you look at the president of the United States, you look at a babysitter who's also like putting her way through college. You know, it's we are all like stretched to our wits end. So that's just a fact. <laughs> um, but also, it's important to understand that there's there's that's largely a perception. And not necessarily reflective of reality. So you probably still read some news. You probably still watch some TV. Excuse me. You probably still... You probably do a lot of things mindlessly that you don't have time for either. But you do them because either you're in a habit of doing it or uh, you don't even realize that you're doing it. And so... so, And that's, that's the real difference. If you have a habit of something, it doesn't feel like it has time. You, or it doesn't feel like it takes time. And that's what's different between me, who does make time to cook and eat and exercise, and somebody who doesn't, is that my habits have been formed around that as a priority. And so when it... So, you know, you, people look at me and they're like, oh my God, you must have such amazing willpower that you can like get, you know, get up in the morning and work out and then cook dinner. And it's like, no, I've just constructed a bunch of little tiny habits in my life so that I do all these things without thinking. And, and so like, that's sort of the first part of the breaking down that illusion of being so overwhelmed that you can't, you can't actually do anything else. That's on the one hand, it is true, but on the other hand, it's also not true because of the perception. So if I can do it, you can do it. I am incredibly busy. I've been incredibly busy my entire life. You know, I launched summer tomato while and, and by the way, I did all the coding for the, and the design myself because I couldn't afford a web designer. Um, I did that all on nights and weekends while working in the lab studying neuroscience for my PhD all day long. You know, so I was like, I mean, I was burning the candle on all ends, but I still managed to cook dinner every night and go to the gym every day. So you know, at a lot, at the end of the day, it does come to priority, but also you can. It doesn't have to be as hard as it sounds, and I know it's really hard to like swallow that. Especially when you're looking at me and probably thinking, whatever, you don't even have to worry about it. <laughs> but you but, don't, but keep going. Well, well, but it's like, but that's an illusion, right? The reason is because I've created these habits a long time ago. It no longer feels like hard work to me. Now it's just who I am. But that's something you can construct into your own life. And the way I recommend doing that is taking it one small step at a time. So, uh, I've talked about habits a little bit now. The, the, the way habits work is they're really automatic behaviors. So there are things that you do without even thinking because something triggers you to do it. You know, you know, just like, you know, your pocket buzzes and you're triggered to look at your phone. It's just exactly the same. And they work because they're reward based. You know, the reward is what reinforces it. So you have to like it. You have to be doing things you like, which is why diets are fundamentally incompatible with getting long-term results because diets are based in suffering. Um, so you find something you like, you decide something you want to do, and then <clears throat> it takes a little bit of willpower at the beginning, set up the habit. But once it gets going, then it takes on a life of its own and it becomes automatic and you don't have to worry about it. So what I recommend to people is start super, super, super small just so you can form the habit. <clears throat> That's goal number one. You can always build on it. You know, you can always do more. <clears throat> you can always extend your workouts. You can always cook more often. You can always change different things. But 
And you just want to take one or two small habits at a time and integrate them into your life. Then once they're integrated, you do a few more. And over time, what happens is you become a healthy person. So it doesn't have to be like you have to overhaul your whole diet, overhaul your whole kitchen, overhaul your whole exercise program all in the same week. That's impossible. No one can do that. Instead, take one thing. And and if you do that consistently and add on to it over time as they each become automatic, by the end of the year... You're like, wow, I'm down 20 pounds. I work out every day. I feel better than I've ever felt in my entire life. And for some reason, it doesn't feel that hard. <laughs> so that's really the trick. It's you know easier said than done, but that's the way to do it. Well, you have a book on your website that talks about habits. It's actually the first book. It's one of the best books you'll ever read about it. And the key concept there is, hey, you got to have a keystone habit that just kind of triggers everything. So for those listening, what would be a keystone habit for them if they really truly want to shift from thinking about food and nutrition as diets to this whole lifestyle concept. I love it. So I call these my home court habits. So the reason I do that is because I know, so I don't, I don't mess around with like really stupid small things that are going to waste your time. Like this tea has slightly more antioxidants than that tea. Like, like what difference does that make in your life? Zero. Focus on big picture habits. So for me, breakfast is a big one. You know, it's like, and not because like breakfast is the most important meal of the day, like whatever that may or may not be true. What breakfast does is it ensures that 30% of your meals every day are healthy. Like if you can nail that, which, which I mean, and breakfast is easy. You know, it's like you wake up, you're on autopilot anyway. You just, you know, in the morning you have more willpower than you're ever going to have during the day. Just nail breakfast. Boom. You will a make a healthier choice for lunch and B, even if you make a not healthy choice for lunch, you will digest it better if you've had a healthy breakfast. So it's a huge one. And that even can extend to dinner if you eat something really bad. So healthy breakfast is a great place to start. Uh, another thing that I like to just recommend to people in general, try to eat something green with lunch and dinner. Most people eat zero vegetables. Yeah. Just start eating more vegetables, even if they don't taste the best. You know, even if you're still going to have the pizza, get a salad, eat it first. And then maybe you'll eat one less piece of pizza. <laughs> you know, um, this is what I do when I'm like traveling or if I'm visiting my family and they're all eating just junk, you know, there's a lot of situations where like, that is like the only thing I cling to is just being able to eat a vegetable. <laughs> so that's a huge one. Um, on the exercise front, I recommend everybody get a pedometer. Uh, so I, I like the Fitbit, but there's a zillion out there now you can use and just try to hit 10,000 steps a day. In my experience, if you live anywhere where they like where you can walk at all, uh, you're probably, if you're, if you're not exercising at all, you probably walk around 3000 steps a day. If you go to the gym consciously, but still have like a pretty sedentary job where you're at your computer all day, right? Guilty as charged. Um, you're probably getting around 6,000 steps a day. It actually doesn't take that much to get to 10,000. Like for me, it's like walking my dog extra or, you know, maybe, maybe walking to the grocery store instead of driving. Or when I get downtown to go to the mall, I just, I'll do a little bit of walking or park further away or take the stairs that you can get to 10,000 steps just by paying attention. And in my experience, that is a total game changer for weight loss, health, and everything else. So it's another great home court habit. I have a, I have a huge list of these on my website if you want to check them out. <laughs> yeah, we'll check them out. But let's, let's just talk about that for a second. But you work out insanely, 
right? You are very intense with your workouts. You're very, I mean, it's a regular, it's a part of your life. Give me kind of a sense of your whole workout routine. Well, let's, let's redefine insane. Cause I will tell you right now that I would say my workouts were far, far, far more insane when I was still dieting and 10 pounds heavier. <laughs> I, I buy into that. Okay. So here's what. I, so let me tell you what my, my my workouts were like back then, because I just want to create some context here. I would wake up at 5 a.m., go to the gym. I would run on the treadmill for anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes before school. Then I would pump iron. I would do all the weight. I would try to do my entire body's workout in one day. Stupidest thing I could have possibly do, but I wanted to burn those calories. That was Monday through Friday without fail. Sunday, I, would, I was training for marathons. I would do a long run. So anywhere from an hour and a half to four-hour run, you know, which would basically wipe out my entire day. Because by the time you're done with that, you are so tired. You are so hungry. I was a maniac. Now, I go to the gym maybe three to five days a week. <clears throat> I do... 20 to 30 minutes on some sort of cardio machine. Like I'll do, uh, the elliptical or the treadmill or something, a bike. And I do try to do a little bit of interval. So I do try to like run really hard or do something for at least a few minutes out of that. Then I do, uh, some weightlifting, usually about 15, 20 minutes, two body parts per week. And then I do abs. And on the days I can't make it to the gym to do that, I'll usually do some kettlebell swings at home, which takes two, two minutes uh, to do a few kettlebell swings or I'll, um, I do have a treadmill at home. I'll hop on the treadmill. And if I'm busy, like if I have to, like I have work to do, sometimes I'll take my work with me down to the treadmill, just walk, you know, kind of like a walking desk. And yeah, so I do that. I, and I'm, I am very religious about it because I feel horrible if I don't, like I can't think Same straight. I, I, Everybody who works out regularly feels this way. Yep. You get so much more energy from working out. And once you've built that habit, you have that reward. It's harder to not do it than it is to do it. So that's my secret. And so, yeah, I wouldn't say I'm crazy, but I'm religious about it. And I used to be way more crazy and way heavier <laughs> when I was doing the crazier thing. Yeah, but hey, but when you when you combine that with the way you manage your life, with the, with the nutrition then it makes a heck of a lot of sense. In the past, the dieting, you could see why you need to work insane. Let's shift Let's shift gears to sugar. Sugar is a killer. Lots of misconceptions out there about sugar. What do you know about sugar that people may not know? Uh, sugar. I, I, think, I think the biggest illusion... Well, sugar is not ideal. <laughs> um, I mean, some of the... So the, the cupcake only for your birthday. Not necessarily, but... <laughs> Here's the problem is that there's sugar in everything. You know, if you're not eating real food, if you're eating processed food, there is so much sugar. Sorry, I'm like getting blinded by the light still. Um, there is so much sugar in savory foods, in bread, in salad dressing. You know, things that you would normally think are kind of healthy tend to have a lot of sugar in them. Those Subway sandwiches we talked about. Yeah, tons. So that's a major problem, right? Because... You know, I think we used to eat about seven pounds of sugar a year in the 80s, and now we eat like 99, something wow. like that. I mean, that's, I, that's I mean, insane. in the 1800s, we ate basically. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like we eat as much sugar every like week and a half now as we did in a whole year in the past. So, we, you know, some of the sensationalist stories around sugar are based in a lot of fact. You know, and but the, the issue is the amount of volume. You know, it's not sugar is pure poison. It's the volume of sugar in the 
frequency we have sugar that's really, really bad for you. That said, sugar is delicious, and there's a reason why we like it. It's really good. And there's a place for it in your life, so long as you balance it out with all the healthy stuff we were talking about earlier. So, you know, I'm not... uh, I'm not quite the sugar hater, but at the end of the day, I hardly eat any sugar because I mostly eat real food. Probably. Do you drink coffee? I love coffee. Coffee is one of the healthiest things you can drink. Yeah, and I want to hear about that. Yeah. um, Coffee is well-documented to... So, yeah, people pretend to list coffee in their vices, right? They're like, oh, well, the worst thing I do is I drink coffee. Now, if you're going to Starbucks and you're getting the double chocolate mocha frappuccino thing and there's like 55 grams of sugar in there, five donuts... Um, yeah, that's a problem, <laughs> especially if you're doing it daily. But black coffee, if you get really good coffee, it really doesn't need cream or sugar. It shouldn't be bitter. Uh, great for your liver, uh, great for your metabolism, helps with athletic performance, helps with cognitive performance. Uh, the only thing it really can do bad is disrupt your sleep. And I'm actually very sensitive to caffeine, so I don't drink any caffeine after noon. But um, other than that, I think go for it. Same thing with wine you know, or alcohol. You know, if you're mixing it with a bunch of sugar, if you're having like tons of margaritas, that's a problem. But a little bit of just straight alcohol, I mean, it's a very old food, an old beverage. And in, in moderate amounts, it can actually be quite good for you. All right, last question. Sleep. How much sleep do you get? And how do you advise those around you who don't get a whole, a whole lot of sleep to start cultivating that habit? Because that's a killer, too. Absolutely. So I actually, um, I used to be really, 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 really bad at sleeping. I can get by on very little sleep compared to most people, four or five hours. I can do that days and days and days in a row before it starts to to really take a toll on me. That said, um, one of the more important things you can do to kind of keep your keep your health under control, keep your cravings under control, keep your weight under control is be on a regular pattern. You know, you know, your circadian rhythms, which is your biological clock, really dictates a lot of your life. It tells you when you're hungry. It tells you when you shouldn't be eating. It tells you when you should be active. It tells you when you should be sleeping. The be- one of the best things you can do is help it to, in order to like, get yourself in a good pattern. So sleeping the same amount of time at the same hours every night, eating at the same time every day, hugely important and can really, really help. I mean, people who, it's well documented that people who work on you know, late night shifts or have shift work all over the place and it's not consistent, they struggle big time um, with all these health issues. So if you can get it under control, you can, uh, you should. Um, but there's also like, if you have trouble sleeping or if you have trouble making time to sleep, again, it comes largely down to your habits. You know, for instance, I've learned that it was really difficult for me to fall asleep at night. I noticed, so I started paying attention to that. What is it? Cause it didn't happen every day, but it would happen on most days. Eventually I learned that I'm very sensitive to screens. So if I'm watch- I can't really look at a screen after 9 PM. If I do, it will definitely inhibit my ability to sleep. Um, which is now a fairly well-known thing, but I, you know, I tested it on myself. I'm, I'm a scientist, so I needed to make sure that actually worked for me, but it really does. Um, you know, a dark room is a big one. Uh, not for me, I can't eat too late. Like if I'm eating too close to bedtime, it'll, it'll disrupt my sleep. I can't drink too much alcohol. That'll disrupt my sleep. Um, but you know, if, if, you know, you start getting these habits and like getting them, getting your ducks in a row, like sort of all before bed and create a nighttime routine, it can actually be much easier for your body to expect sleep and therefore be able to sleep. So six hours good. If I get six hours a night, am I good? Or is it still better to get seven or more? Every, everything I've ever read says it's better to get seven. 
Um, I don't know, but you don't need much more than that. I haven't seen compelling evidence that you really need eight or more. Um, but seven's yeah. a good number. Seven's a good number to shoot for. I mean, if you're getting less than that, you could, you'd probably benefit from a little bit more sleep. I definitely notice a difference. All right. Can you hold the book? Hold up the book for those who don't know. All right. Foodist. The blog is Summer Tomato. Where do you want them to go to learn more about this stuff? Because you write every day. It's always very compelling. You've got great resources on there. And with all due respect, if they don't read the book, you can just go visit the blog and everything you need to know is there. Absolutely. Probably the best thing you could do is go to summertomato.com and sign up for my newsletter because that is where I have the most interactions with people. I actually like I read every single reply and that's where you can learn, you know, stay up to date, learn all the new stuff. And if I ever do anything super, super cool, you'll know about it. So sign up now, you'll actually get a free chapter from my book, which is actually by far my favorite chapter and the one that took me the most time and I did the most research on and that that chapter alone could like change your life. So go download the free chapter. And I think you're the work that you're doing is just the beginning. So thanks for sharing your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.